We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1. I encourage you to uh, turn with me there. Now, we talk about sometimes about having everything that we need. Now, we can refer to it a couple different ways. One way we can refer to having everything we need, as in we have food, water, shelter. We can survive and live by having everything we need. But I want to talk about it in the sense of like when you pack up and go on vacation and you ask each other, do you have everything you need? Now, I'm going to share with you something, and I'm going to trust that you are a mature audience, okay? I'm going to trust. Why are you laughing? That's not good. That doesn't give me good heart that I should share this with you, that you're already laughing when I call you mature. That's not good. Um, I'm going to share something with you, and I trust that you will be mature about it. I trust that you will not use this story against me in any way, in conversations moving forward, in the hallway afterwards, or up here at front, that you will not use this to ridicule me at all. So I'm, gonna, I'm trusting you with this information. And I'm just now realizing that this is on the internet. And I don't have this verbal commitment from them. Um, so if you're going to commit to that I can trust you with this, just sit there silently. Thank you. Okay, good. Oh, no, some of you laughed. So this, I, I go to camp a lot, and I pack for camp a lot. I would classify myself as being an excellent expert packer in going to camp, having everything that I need. I usually bring the same exact things. I know what I'm going to use. I know what I'm not going to use. And I can just pack very quickly. And this last uh, time, I've forgotten a pillow before. I've forgotten a sleeping bag before. But this last time at junior boys camp, I've forgotten something that is truly terrible. And... I'm going to open up with you again. I'm trusting you with this. I forgot my Bible. What? I trusted you. How dare you already? I forgot my camp Bible. I was like, when I got there, I was like, oh no. I, it was awful. Uh, I had a Bible on my phone, so it's not like I was without the word of God the entire week. But I couldn't believe it. And every time when we would go to chapel, I would always tell the boys, don't forget your Bible booklet and pen, all the while knowing I did not have my Bible with me. It was like, oh, oh, it was, it was heart-wrenching. I didn't bring everything that I needed. And that feeling of missing out on something that I needed, it, it was hard. It was like, oh, no, they aren't going to love me. They cannot learn about Jesus since I didn't bring my Bible with me. No, that wasn't the case. Our big idea for this morning is that God has given you everything you need for you to give your everything to him. There's nothing that God has said, oh yeah, I forgot to give you that. I forgot to provide you with something that you need to glorify me. I forgot to give you that one extra bit of information that you really could have used in order to finally please me and live a life that's glorifying to me. God has given you everything. There's nothing that he left out. And I pray that as we go through this passage uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, it's a lengthy passage that we're going to work through, um, so we're not going to be able to dive into each word, and it's so rich, but I pray that you get this big idea that God has given you everything you need to glorify him and for you to give him your everything. So let's look at verses 1 through 4 together. Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It all starts out by Peter addressing this crowd of seemingly normal people. These people that he's addressing are not apostles. He starts out by saying, I am an apostle. I've been given this special authority by Jesus himself in Acts 1-8 when Jesus said, I'm going to give you this power of the Holy Spirit to go and be my witnesses. And he says in verse 1 there that you, normal people of God, have obtained a faith that is equal to the faith that I have. Equal to the faith that me, an apostle, has. Me, the one who has walked on water with Jesus, the one who saw Jesus do everything, all these miracles, sat under his teaching for years. And he says, you have a faith that is of equal standing with ours. Because when you trust in Christ, when you put your faith in the work of Jesus, what he has done on the cross through his resurrection, you are on the same playing field as anyone. Everyone is at the same level at the foot of the cross. The same faith that Peter has is the same faith, saving faith that we have. Because when we trust in Christ, we receive his full righteousness. We are given this righteousness of God. It says the standing that we have is by the righteousness of Jesus. God doesn't give more of Jesus' righteousness to one believer than he does for another believer. When you trust in Christ, you receive his full righteousness. And what a gift that is. That we will have his perfect righteousness, that we will be able to stand before a perfect God. So you're either saved or you're not saved. You either have this righteousness or you don't have this righteousness. But in verse 2, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. There is still this growth aspect. It's not that once you have this saving faith, you're good, you're fine, you don't need to do anything, don't need to read the Bible, you don't need to come to church, you don't need to do any of that stuff. No, he's saying that there is this sanctification that happens, there's this growth that's going to happen because we have the righteousness of Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to us. We see in many scriptures, many verses that it talks about practice these things, immerse yourself in them. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All over scripture we see it's grow, grow, grow. Once you have been saved by faith through grace, grow, grow, abound more and more. We're going to look at that a little bit more in verses 5 through 8. About how God has given us his word to be able to grow. And that's how we grow the best. When we sit under the word, like you're doing right now, sitting under the preaching of the word, that is a fantastic way to grow. When you are opening up your Bible at home, sitting under the word, you grow. When you're in smaller group formats under the word of God, you grow. When you have somebody who can disciple you, as we've been 
talking about over and over again about be disciples, make disciples. We have somebody who is pointing out the word of God, tailor-made for your life, grow. We have verse 3, which we have talked about so many times at this church. I hope it's very familiar to you. That God's word has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. It has all that we need. This gift that we have is everything that we need to live in a life that's pleasing to God. And that's when I was in high school, I started to find this out. I, I had friends who would come and ask me questions about, what does the Bible say about this? What does God say about this? How does God think about this? And I would say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Because I had no clue. They asked me questions I never thought of before. And so I would say, well, give me some time. Maybe I'll find out. So I'd ask my parents. I'd go back to the, the index in the back here, and I'd try to find that word that they mentioned their question. And, and that's a great thing to do. That's why it's there, to help us find the answers. But as I was able to answer these questions over and over again, I began to realize, and God began to open my eyes and say, yeah, all of the answers are in there. (laughs) Just need to know where to look. And what a wonderful truth that is to realize at an early age to know that the Bible does have answers. And they just need to take the time, maybe ask for help to find those answers to your questions. But they're in there. So when COVID hits... Your foundation is in the word. You're going to go to the word first to see how God wants you to respond to it. Now, you're not going to go to the word to see what your social distancing rules are, right? We're not going to go to whether you see if you should wear a mask or not, but it's for life in godliness, for you to see how you are to please God. The answers are in the word. The same is true during protests and riots, during the craziness that is going on in the world. And there's a lot of craziness going on in the world, don't you agree? We go to God's word. God's word has the answers for all of this. We want to make sure that we are not listening to secular theology or to take our cues from news and social media because that's going to throw us off course from what God wants us to do. God has given us direction and a plan for how we are to treat one another. God has given us a plan for how we are to show love to each other. It's in his word. This needs to be our guidance. This has everything we need for life and godliness. This is God's gift to us. He has granted us all these things, these precious and very great promises. And that through them, he says, that you may become partakers of this divine nature. Through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become saved by faith through grace. And in this escaping from corruption, if you look with me at verse 4, it says you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, in the past tense there, from the corruption that is in this world. So here we have an interesting sentence that says you may become, talking about the the, uh, future tense of what may happen in the future, and then the past tense of having escaped the corruption. So here we see at the point of salvation, there is both a future hope and a present hope. At the moment of salvation, you have this future hope that you will one day escape all corruption, that you will be with Jesus and there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more death. But also, you have this current hope right now, that you are no longer bound by sin. You are no longer living a life that says, I have to sin. 
I have to think this way that would please man instead of pleasing God. What a wonderful thing to have a future hope and a present hope. We don't have to act like the world. When everyone else gets angry, when everyone else is spewing hatred, what does God's word say? We don't have to do that. We can show love. We can be kind. We can be generous. When people are wondering how to navigate treating other human beings, we have in God's word very clearly, God says to love one another. God says to even to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God says that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross because he loved the world. And he said that anyone who believes in him, anyone, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what you look like, anyone who puts their faith and trust in Christ will be saved. We have what we need in God's word. It's there. It's clearly outlined for us. We need to read it. 2 Timothy, it should be, say, 3, 16 and 17. I apologize for that. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching reproof, for correction, training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Even during a pandemic, you're equipped with what you need to please God because you have the word. Praise God for that. And because he has given us everything we need, Guess what God wants from you? You're everything. Let's look at verse 5. For this very reason, because God has given you everything, he says this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. We are to make every effort because we are sanctified, because God has changed us, made us new, set us free from the bondage of sin. But also we make every effort to be sanctified, because to grow in Christ. It says these work at it, make every effort. This supplement is we have the saving faith in Jesus Christ and these other virtues that are listed, the, listed underneath, the other qualities are to supplement and to help support your faith in Christ. As we get older, we understand what supplements are, don't we? Uh Yes, okay, so you know what they're for. So when he says to supplement your saving faith, that means that there are some things that still need help and that faith that still needs some work, not to save you, but to help you grow in your walk with Christ. So we have virtue. That's acting in an excellent way. Knowledge, just knowing and thinking correctly. Self-control. Usually we say this of our kids when they're going bonkers. We say have self-control to get them to stop doing things. But it's also self-control to get them to do the right thing. Controlling oneself in all aspects. Either to not do the wrong thing, but also to do the right thing. Steadfastness and continuation in doing what's right. Godliness. To live in a way that brings glory to God. Brotherly affection is kindness and love. Is this love in all circumstances type of love. How many in that list involve action? Quite a few, right? Now we know that we must know the word of God. We must have knowledge. But there's a reason why we don't have a Bible study or a sermon every night of the week and every morning of the week. We understand that knowledge can easily puff us up. So there has to be some time to go and live it out. 
Imagine if we had this mentality that it's only about us gaining knowledge. If we were to get load up our family into the car and we're getting ready to head to church and your neighbor comes over and they say, hey, I have a problem. My life is just really not going well. Would you be willing to talk to me? And you said, no, I need to go to church first and then I can come back and help for you, help you out. Let me, let me go to church and learn more things and then maybe I'll come and if I have time from learning for myself. Wouldn't that be wrong? <laughs> Right? If they, they come and say, hey, how, what must I do to be saved? And you say, well, let me go to church first. I need to learn some things, and then I'll come back. We need time to live out this gospel. Knowledge is very important, absolutely. Look what R.C. Sproul says. He says, we are to be diligent to seek the knowledge of God, not to get a degree in theology, not to receive the accolades of men, not to be known for our intelligence, but to learn from God and gain the mind of Christ. And what do you think the mind of Christ would be in those situations? It'd be to share Christ with them. We want to be living it out, making every effort to supplement our faith with these qualities. Now he talks about these qualities, and then he says in verse 8, it's an interesting sentence. He says it's to keep you, if you have these qualities, it's to keep you from being unfruitful and ineffective for Christ. So let me, let me put it this way. I have a playground in our backyard, and when they installed it, they said you need to keep tightening the bolts about every season or every other season to keep it sturdy for when the kids are swinging. So I have definitely uh, tightened those bolts zero times. And as the kids have continued to swing over the years, the playground is starting to go like this. As the kids get bigger and they keep swinging, the whole playground is doing this number. I should probably fix that now. But what they're saying is that if you keep tightening the bolts, it will keep it from being ineffective. Because if you don't do anything, then naturally, the natural way of it is just going to rot, it's going to decay, the boots are gonna, bolts are going to loosen, and it's going to fall apart. As God's word is saying here, you have these supplemental uh, qualities that need to be about us, that we need to make every effort in, because if we don't, our natural way of life is we're going to decay. We're going to go back to our selfish way of life. We're going to say, hey, thanks, Jesus. And then we're going to go back to doing everything that we did before. And that is going to be unfruitful and ineffective for Christ. That's why he says make every effort. Keep at it. Keep tightening the bolts over and over and over again to keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Even though we've been made new in Christ, we still have our sinful flesh. And it is a battle. We need to keep pursuing this. We need to make every effort. In Ephesians 6, it says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, therefore, you take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And he says, and having done all to stand firm. This phrase, make every effort, it's not rocket science. You don't really need to do a deep dive study into what that phrase means. I think we all know what make every effort means. Think of your favorite hobby, your favorite job to do. Think of how you apply yourself to your family or whatever, and then you go bigger for Christ. You do more 
for making these qualities to be about yourself to live a life that is glorifying to God. God's purpose for you is vastly different than the culture's purpose for you. And even before you knew Jesus, and maybe even now, God's purpose for you is different than even your purpose for you. Usually we want to just do what we want to do. But are all the qualities that we want to have, are they listed here? Are there any in this list that you might be thinking, I need to work on? I need to grow in. I need to start making an effort. Maybe not making every effort, but I need to start by making an effort in some of these qualities. I encourage you to talk to somebody about who can encourage you and help you to grow in these qualities. In this time that we're making every effort, may God be glorified for the growth that you see in your life to keep you from being unfruitful in these ways. And then in verse 9, he says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. God's gospel life for you is everything. We need to live remembering Jesus' sacrifice. We need to live confirming our salvation. So he's saying if you have the qualities, it keeps you from being ineffective and unfruitful. If you don't have the qualities, it's like you don't even remember Jesus. It's like you don't even remember what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. You say you're saved, but you don't have any of these qualities. He's saying, then are you saved? (laughs) He says to think Think that the gospel is only for those who need to be saved and then call it quits, and that's it, is to limit the power of the gospel. The gospel, yes, is the power of Christ for salvation for those who believe, but it doesn't stop there. The power of the gospel lives on in our lives to help us have these qualities about ourselves. So we're, we're not practicing these qualities. It's like we've forgotten the gospel and what Jesus has done. As we're living out the gospel and having these qualities, we are confirming our salvation to the outside world. We're saying that I live out what I believe. That you're not just saying, hey, you just need to believe this, believe this in order to be saved, and then you go and live like the world. How would that make sense to the world? You say, oh, you need something different in your life, but yet you're acting the same as me. So really, why should I trust in Christ? But he says in 1 Peter, in his first letter, But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That means there should be people looking at your life, saying, there's something different about you. There's a pandemic going on. There's protests in the streets. There's riots out there. There's a monuments being torn down. There's lots of stuff that is happening in our country, and not to mention the world. There's a lot of things happening in the world around us we don't even know because we're not even barely looking outside of our own country here because of all the stuff that's going on. Are you living and responding in a way that people will ask you, how can you have hope? If there's any point in time in our history that we can look different than the world and have hope, now's the time. Now's the time when we need to shine a light for the gospel so that when we've been talking about getting saved, we've been talking about Jesus with our neighbors and with our coworkers and all that, we've been talking about it for so long, and then this hits, 
they're going to look to see if your actions match what you say you believe. Confirm that. But not also confirming it for others. You confirm it for yourself. As he says here, if you are, don't have these qualities about you, he says it's like you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your own sins. And this is what I find. I deal a lot with uh, teenagers and others who uh, struggle with doubting their salvation. They say, I don't know if I'm saved. I just, and the main reason, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, it's because that person has sin in their life that they're really struggling with. A lot of the times it's, I keep doing this sin. This is what I struggled with when I was in high school too, that I keep sinning in this way over and over again. I keep asking for forgiveness, but I seem to keep going back to it and I don't want to. It's like, am I even saved if I can't deal with it, if I can't correct this sin in my life? And that's exactly what he's saying here. Yeah, if you're lacking these qualities, then it's like you've forgotten that you're saved. So let's go back to the word of God. Let's see what God's word says about how to be saved. And if you're still sinning, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you lost your salvation in any way. It just means that you're not practicing these qualities. If you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, then you are saved. We love this verse in Romans 8.1. I'd love for you to read it out loud with me, the whole verse. So let's read this out loud together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's a beautiful verse that talks about not just that future day when we're going to stand before the almighty throne of God and we are going to be judged and he's going to look at those who are in Christ and say, you are not guilty. <laughs> Say, your, your guilt has already been paid for. You have the righteousness of God. You are not going to be condemned if you are in Christ Jesus. But it also has the part where it says, right now you are freed from this law of sin and death. You are set free to live in a, play, in a way that glorifies God, in a way that pleases him. And he says in verse 10, at the end, last part of that, he says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. He's not saying you'll never sin ever again. And he's not saying that you'll lose your salvation. Think about Peter. When did he fall? Remember back when Jesus was on his way to be um, persecuted, on his way to the cross to die. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? He said, all of you are going to fall away. Everyone. That's when Peter was like, not me, no way. Maybe these guys, maybe that Matthew guy over there, I could see that. But not me, definitely not. And she's like, well, actually, you're going to deny me three times, and then you're going to fall and run away from me. And that's exactly what happened. But there was also the redemption that happened. He said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? So just because you fall away, it doesn't mean that you will not be saved anymore. But it just means that you're going to, if you fall, that you're in a life of sin. And think, go through these qualities with me again. And look at what Peter was not doing, what he was not practicing when he denied Jesus three times. Was Jesus, or was Peter, did he have steadfastness, continuation in doing what was right? Clearly not. Was he acting in a godly way when he denied Christ? No. Did he show love, brotherly affection to Jesus when he denied him? No. 
what did he show that undying in all circumstances type of love? No, he was lacking those qualities in that moment. And so he fell away. And so he understands that if you're practicing these things, you won't fall into that sin. And what a beautiful picture too. In verse 11, how he says that then in this way, you'll be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That solidification, the perseverance of the saints to get to that point in time when we are at the end of our life and we know that we will one day be with Jesus. And then quickly for our last point here. God gives you people to remind you of everything. So our accountability with each other must stir one another up. It's not good enough to just go and hang out and watch a ball game, if any ball games ever start up again. It's not just going and sitting down and eating food together. Well, that is a wonderful thing. But our accountability must stir each other up. We must help each other in these qualities. We must talk about these things and talk about the word of God. And it must be continual. Let's look at verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them, And are established in the truth that you have. So he's right now, he's saying, I know you know this. This isn't brand new information to you, but I need to remind you and remind you and remind you. Now, I understand we've been been through 2 Peter 1.3 so many times in this church. We've referenced it so many times in this church. So this passage, you might be thinking, this isn't new to me. But that doesn't mean we can check out. We need to be reminded of this over and over and over again. It says, I think it right, verse 13, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. He said, I'm going to be dead here soon. He says, and I will make every effort. There it is again. So that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. When I was a counselor at Twin Lakes Camp, they would ingrain in us what the word outdoors stood for. They had a a word for every letter of the word outdoors. And they would grill us on this over and over and over again, annoyingly so. They would like, while you're eating your meal, outdoors, go. What does it stand for? And they would just all the time go through it. And that was, what, 17 years ago or something? I can get most of the letters still without having to go back and refer back and remember what it was, without looking, I can get probably 90% of them, which is, I think it's pretty good for that long ago. But they did it so much that you could just rattle them off anytime. And it's been so long since I've gone through what each letter means, and I know I can still remember most of them. We need re- continual reminders because we are forgetful people. We are. We forget the truth. When we get into uh, different circumstances in our lives, don't you forget the things that you've been taught? Don't you ever talk to your kids about that? Like, how did you forget? I just told you this. But then this happened, and it's like you forgot everything I ever told you. Yes, we are the same way, right? Even us as adults, we need God to remind us of these things through his word. And what has God given us to remind us of these things? People the people of God, the church, to gather around one another to help remind us of these truths. We see so much in Scripture. We can't get away from it. 
We can't get away from the individuals gathering together, challenging one another to help each other to grow in Christ. We can't just come and sit in the corporate setting like we're doing now and think that's good enough. Look at this. Encourage one another. Build one another up. It says, if you're caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him. Bear one another's burdens. It's hard to do that in this setting when I'm the only one talking, right? It's hard to do that. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. And there are so many that talk about us discipling one another. This is why we are to be disciples and make disciples. Think about how Jesus did it. Did he have his sermons? Absolutely. Did he have his small group time where he's teaching them in smaller settings like just the disciples? Absolutely. Did he have times with just Peter, John? Did he have times with individuals? Absolutely. He modeled a great way for us to disciple. There's reminders over and over again. We need to always remind ourselves of these things. We need to stir each other up. When you get together with another believer, I pray that it is a biblically encouraging time. That it's not just you had common interests around the sport or around the food, and that was your only common interest. I pray that you encourage and stir one another up. There is no room for slacking off in the Christian life. (laughs) Make every effort. Make every effort. Stir one another up. God has given you everything. You are equipped. You have it all in the power of Christ, in his word. You have it for you to make every effort. So what's holding you back? Do you... Are there areas that you need to grow in? We can't blame our circumstances because God says he's given us everything we need for all these circumstances in life to live a godly life. So we can't blame the things around us for why we're not glorifying God. So if we're not doing it, we have to look here. We have to look in our heart and say, where do I need to grow? Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. We need your strength, your power. We need your conviction that can only come from you. They can't come from my words. They can only come from you working in people's hearts. We pray that you change us, that you compel us to go out and stir one another up to remind each other of these qualities that we need to be about. Help us to tighten these bolts in our lives, to make every effort to live out our faith, live out what we truly believe. Lord, give us the grace and the strength to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.